0: Book One, Chapter Four, Part One of Armadale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Winterroud Armadale by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Four, The Shadow of the Past. One stepping back under the dark shelter of the bulwark, and one standing out boldly in the yellow light of the moon, the two friends turned face to face on the deck of the timber ship and looked at each other in silence. The next moment Allan's inveterate recklessness seized on the grotesque side of the situation by main force. He seated himself astride on the bulwark and burst out boisterously into his loudest and heartiest laugh. All my fault, he said, but there's no help for it now. Here we are, hard and fast, in a trap of our own setting, and there goes the last of the doctor's boat. Come out of the dark, Midwinter. I can't half see you there, and I want to know what's to be done next. Midwinter neither answered nor moved. Allan left the bulwark, and, mounting the forecastle, looked down attentively at the waters of the sound. One thing is pretty certain, he said, With the current on that side, and the sunken rocks on this, we can't find our way out of the scrape by swimming at any rate. So much for the prospect at this end of the wreck. Let's see how things look at the other. Rouse up, messmate, he called out cheerfully as he passed midwinter. Come and see what the old tub of a timber ship has got to show us astern. He sauntered on, with his hands in his pockets, humming the chorus of a comic song. His voice had produced no apparent effect on his friend, but at the light touch of his hand in passing, Midwinter started, and moved out slowly from the shadow of the bulwark. "'Come along!' cried Alan, suspending his singing for a moment and glancing back. Still without a word of answer, the other followed. Thrice he stopped before he reached the stern end of the wreck, the first time to throw aside his hat and push back his hair from his forehead and temples, the second time "'reeling giddy to hold for a moment "'by a ring-bolt close at hand. "'The last time, though Alan was plainly visible "'a few yards ahead, "'to look stealthily behind him "'with the furtive scrutiny of a man "'who believes that other footsteps "'are following him in the dark. "'Not yet,' he whispered to himself, "'with eyes that searched the empty air. "'I shall see him astern "'with his hand on the lock of the cabin door. "'The stern end of the wreck was clear of the shipbreaker's lumber, accumulated in other parts of the vessel. Here the one object that rose visible on the smooth surface of the deck was the low wooden structure which held the cabin door and roofed in the cabin stairs. The wheelhouse had been removed, the binnacle had been removed, but the cabin entrance and all that belonged to it had been left untouched. The scuttle was on and the door was closed. On gaining the after part of the vessel— Alan walked straight to the stern, and looked out to sea over the taffrail. No such thing as a boat was in view anywhere on the quiet, moon-brightened waters. Knowing Midwinter's sight to be better than his own, he called out, Come up here, and see if there's a fisherman within hail of us. Hearing no reply, he looked back. Midwinter had followed him as far as the cabin had stopped there. He called again in a louder voice, and beckoned impatiently, Midwinter had heard the call, for he looked up, but still he never stirred from his place. There he stood, as if he had reached the utmost limits of the ship and could go no further. Alan went back and joined him. It was not easy to discover what he was looking at, for he kept his face turned away from the moonlight, but it seemed as if his eyes were fixed, with a strange expression of inquiry on the cabin door. "'What is there to look at there?' Alan asked. "'Let's see if it's locked.' "'As he took a step forward to open the door, "'Midwinter's hand seized him suddenly by the coat-collar "'and forced him back. "'The moment after, the hand relaxed without losing its grasp, "'and trembled violently, "'like the hand of a man completely unnerved. "'Am I to consider myself in custody?' "'asked Alan, half-astonished and half-amused. "'Why, in the name of wonder, "'do you keep staring at the cabin door?' ANY SUSPICIOUS NOISES BELOW? IT'S NO USE DISTURBING THE RATS, IF THAT'S WHAT YOU MEAN. WE HAVEN'T GOT A DOG WITH US. MEN? LIVING MEN THEY CAN'T BE, FOR THEY WOULD HAVE HEARD US AND COME ON DECK. DEAD MEN? QUITE IMPOSSIBLE. NO SHIP'S CREW COULD BE DROWNED IN A LANDLOCKED PLACE LIKE THIS UNLESS THE VESSEL BROKE UP UNDER THEM. AND HERE'S THE VESSEL AS STEADY AS A CHURCH TO SPEAK FOR HERSELF. MAN ALIVE, HOW YOUR HAND TREMBLES. "'What is there to scare you in that rotten old cabin? "'What are you shaking and shivering about? "'Any company of the supernatural sort on board? "'Mercy preserve us, as the old women say. "'Do you see a ghost?' "'I see two,' answered the other, "'driven headlong into speech and action "'by a maddening temptation to reveal the truth. Two, he repeated, "'his breath bursting from him in deep heavy gasps.' "'as he tried vainly to force back the horrible words. "'The ghost of a man like you drowning in the cabin, "'and the ghost of a man like me turning the lock of the door on him.' "'Once more young Armadale's hearty laughter "'rang out loud and long through the stillness of the night. "'Turning the lock of the door, is he?' said Alan, "'as soon as his merriment left him breath enough to speak. "'That's a devilish unhandsome action, Master Midwinter, "'on the part of your ghost.' THE LEAST I CAN DO AFTER THAT IS TO LET MINE OUT OF THE CABIN AND GIVE HIM THE RUN OF THE SHIP. WITH NO MORE THAN A MOMENTARY EXERTION OF HIS SUPERIOR STRENGTH, HE FREED HIMSELF EASILY FROM MIDWINTER'S HOLD. BELOW THERE, HE CALLED OUT gaily, AS HE LAID HIS STRONG HAND ON THE CRAZY LOCK AND TORE OPEN THE CABIN DOOR. GHOST OF ALLEN Armadale, COME ON DECK! IN HIS TERRIBLE IGNORANCE OF THE TRUTH, HE PUT HIS HEAD INTO THE DOORWAY AND LOOKED DOWN, LAUGHING at the place where his murdered father had died. Pah! he exclaimed, and stepping back suddenly with a shudder of disgust. The air is foul already, and the cabin is full of water. It was true. The sunken rocks on which the vessel lay wrecked had burst their way through her lower timbers astern, and the water had welled up through the rifted wood. Here, where the deed had been done, the fatal parallel between the past and the present was complete what the cabin had been in the time of the father's, that cabin was now in the time of the son's. Alan pushed the door to again with his foot, a little surprised at the sudden silence which appeared to have fallen on his friend from the moment when he had laid his hand on the cabin lock. When he turned to look, the reason of the silence was instantly revealed. Midwinter had dropped on the deck. He lay senseless before the cabin door, his face turned up white and still to the moonlight like the face of a dead man. In a moment Allan was at his side. He looked uselessly round the lonely limits of the wreck, as he lifted Midwinter's head on his knee, for a chance of help, where all chance was ruthlessly cut off. "'What am I to do?' he said to himself, in the first impulse of alarm. Not a drop of water near, but the foul water in the cabin. A sudden recollection crossed his memory. The florid color rushed back over his face, and he drew from his pocket a wickered-covered flask. "'God bless the doctor for giving me this before we sailed,' he broke out, fervently, as he poured down Midwinter's throat some drops of the raw whiskey which the flask contained. The stimulant acted instantly on the sensitive system of the swooning man. He sighed faintly and slowly opened his eyes. "'Have I been dreaming?' he asked, looking up vacantly in Alan's face. His eyes wandered higher, "'and encountered the dismantled mass of the wreck "'rising weird and black against the night sky. "'He shuddered at the sight of them "'and hid his face on Alan's knee. "'No dream,' he murmured to himself mournfully. "'Oh, me, no dream!' "'You have been overtired all day,' said Alan, "'and this infernal adventure of ours has upset you. "'Take some more whiskey. "'It's sure to do you good. "'Can you sit by yourself?' If I put you against the bulwark, so why by myself, why do you leave me? asked midwinter, Allen pointed to the mizzen shrouds of the wreck, which were still left standing. You are not well enough to rough it here till the workmen come off in the morning, he said, We must find our way on shore at once if we can. I am going up to get a good view all round and see if there is a house within hail of us, even in the moment that passed while those few words were spoken. Midwinter's eyes wandered back distrustfully to the fatal cabin door. "'Don't go near it,' he whispered. "'Don't try to open it, for God's sake!' "'No, no,' returned Allan, humoring him. "'When I come down from the rigging, I'll come back here.' He said the words a little constrainedly, noticing for the first time while he now spoke an underlying distress in Midwinter's face, which grieved and perplexed him. "'You're not angry with me,' he said.' in his simple, sweet-tempered way. "'All this is my fault, I know, and I was a brute and a fool to laugh at you when I ought to have seen you were ill. I am so sorry, Midwinter. Don't be angry with me.' Midwinter slowly raised his head. His eyes rested with a mournful interest, long and tender, on Allan's anxious face. "'Angry,' he repeated, in his lowest, gentlest tones. "'Angry with you? Oh, my poor boy!' "'Were you to blame for being kind to me "'when I was ill in the old West Country Inn? "'And was I to blame for feeling your kindness thankfully? "'Was it our fault that we never doubted each other "'and never knew that we were traveling together blindfold "'on the way that was to lead us here? "'The cruel time is coming, Alan, "'when we shall rue the day we ever met. "'Shake hands, brother, on the edge of the precipice. "'Shake hands while we are brothers still.' "'Alan turned away quickly.' "'convinced that his mind had not yet recovered "'from the shock of the fainting-fit. "'Don't forget the whisky," he said cheerfully, "'as he sprang into the rigging "'and mounted to the mizzen-top. "'It was past two. "'The moon was waning, "'and the darkness that comes before dawn "'was beginning to gather round the wreck. "'Behind Alan, as he now stood looking out "'from the elevation of the mizzen-top, "'spread the broad and lonely sea. "'Before him were the low, black, lurking rocks,' and the broken waters of the channel pouring white and angry into the vast calm of the westward ocean beyond. On the right hand, heaved back grandly from the waterside, were the rocks and precipices, with their little tablelands of grass between, the sloping downs and upward-rolling heath solitudes of the Isle of Man. On the left hand rose the craggy sides of the islet of the calf, here rent wildly into deep black chasms, there lying low under long-sweeping acclivities of grass and heath. No sound rose, no light was visible on either shore. The black lines of the topmost mass of the wreck looked shadowy and faint in the darkening mystery of the sky. The land-breeze had dropped. The small shoreward waves fell noiseless, far or near, no sound was audible, but the cheerless bubbling of the broken water ahead, pouring through the awful hush of silence, in which earth and ocean waited for the coming day. Even Alan's careless nature felt the solemn influence of the time. The sound of his own voice startled him when he looked down and hailed his friend on deck. I think I see one house, he said. Here away, on the mainland to the right. He looked again to make sure at a dim little patch of white, with faint white lines behind it nestling low in a grassy hollow on the main island. IT LOOKS LIKE A STONE HOUSE AND ENCLOSURE, HE RESUMED. I'LL HAIL IT ON THE CHANCE. HE PASSED HIS ARM ROUND A ROPE TO STEADY HIMSELF, MADE A SPEAKING TRUMPET OF HIS HANDS, AND SUDDENLY DROPPED THEM AGAIN WITHOUT UTTERING A SOUND. IT'S SO AWFULLY QUIET, HE WHISPERED TO HIMSELF. I'M HALF AFRAID TO CALL OUT. HE LOOKED DOWN AGAIN ON DECK. I SHAN'T STARTLE YOU MIDWINTER, SHALL I? HE SAID WITH AN UNEASY LAUGH. He looked once more at the faint white object in the grassy hollow. It won't do to have come up here for nothing, he thought, and made a speaking trumpet of his hands again. This time he gave the hail with the whole power of his lungs. On shore there, he shouted, turning his face to the main island. Ahoy, hoy, hoy! The last echoes of his voice died away and were lost. No sound answered him, but the cheerless bubbling of the broken water ahead. He looked down again at his friend, and saw the dark figure of midwinter rise erect, and pace the deck backward and forward, never disappearing out of sight of the cabin when it retired toward the bows of the wreck, and never passing beyond the cabin when it returned toward the stern. He is impatient to get away, thought Allan. I'll try again. He hailed the land once more, and taught by previous experience, pitched his voice in its highest key. This time, another sound than the sound of the bubbling water answered him. The lowing of frightened cattle rose from the building in the grassy hollow, and traveled far and drearily through the stillness of the morning air. Alan waited and listened. If the building was a farmhouse, the disturbance among the beasts would rouse the men. If it was only a cattle stable, nothing more would happen." the lowing of the frightened brutes rose and fell drearily the minutes passed and nothing happened once more said alan looking down at the restless figure pacing beneath him for the third time he hailed the land for the third time he waited and listened in a pause of silence among the cattle he heard behind him on the opposite shore of the channel faint and far among the solitudes of the islet of the calf a sharp, sudden sound, like the distant clash of a heavy door-bolt drawn back. Turning at once in the new direction, he strained his eyes to look for a house. The last faint rays of the waning moonlight trembled here and there on the higher rocks, and on the steeper pinnacles of ground, but great strips of darkness lay dense and black over all the land between, and in that darkness the house, if house there were, was lost to view." "'I have roused somebody at last!' Alan called out encouragingly to Midwinter, still walking to and fro on the deck, strangely indifferent to all that was passing above and beyond him. "'Look out for the answering hail!' And with his face set towards the islet, Alan shouted for help. The shout was not answered, but mimicked with a shrill, shrieking derision, with wilder and wilder cries rising out of the deep, distant darkness and mingling horribly the expression of a human voice with the sound of a brute's. A sudden suspicion crossed Alan's mind, which made his head swim and turned his hand cold as it held the rigging. In breathless silence he looked toward the quarter from which the first mimicry of his cry for help had come. After a moment's pause the shrieks were renewed, and the sound of them came nearer. Suddenly a figure, which seemed the figure of a man, leaped up black on a pinnacle of rock, and capered and shrieked in the waning gleam of the moonlight. The screams of a terrified woman mingled with the cries of the capering creature on the rock. A red spark flashed out in the darkness from a light kindled in an invisible window. The hoarse shouting of a man's voice in anger was heard through the noise. A second black figure leaped up on the rock, struggled with the first figure and disappeared with it in the darkness. The cries grew fainter and fainter, the screams of the woman were stilled, the hoarse voice of the man was heard again for a moment hailing the wreck in words made unintelligible by the distance, but in tones plainly expressive of rage and fear combined. Another moment, and the clang of the door bolt was heard again, the red spark of light was quenched in darkness, and all the islet lay quiet. IN THE SHADOWS ONCE MORE. THE LOWING OF THE CATTLE ON THE MAINLAND CEASED, ROSE AGAIN, STOPPED. THEN, COLD AND CHEERLESS AS EVER, THE ETERNAL BUBBLING OF THE BROKEN WATER WELLED UP THROUGH THE GREAT GAP OF SILENCE. THE ONE SOUND LEFT, AS THE MYSTERIOUS STILLNESS OF THE HOUR FELT LIKE A MANTLE FROM THE HEAVENS, AND CLOSED OVER THE WRECK. ALLEN DESCENDED FROM HIS PLACE IN THE mizzen top AND JOINED HIS FRIEND AGAIN ON DECK. "'We must wait till the shipbreakers come off to their work,' he said, meeting Midwinter halfway in the course of his restless walk. "'After what has happened, I don't mind confessing that I've had enough of hailing the land. Only think of there being a madman in that house ashore, and of my waking him. Horrible, wasn't it?' Midwinter stood still for a moment, and looked at Alan, with the perplexed air of a man who hears circumstances familiarly mentioned to which he is himself a total stranger. He appeared, if such a thing had been possible, to have passed over entirely without notice all that had just happened on the islet of the calf. Nothing is horrible out of this ship, he said. Everything is horrible in it. Answering in those strange words, he turned away again and went on with his walk. Alan picked up the flask of whiskey lying on the deck near him "'and revived his spirits with a dram. "'Here's one thing on board that isn't horrible,' he retorted briskly, "'as he screwed on the stopper of the flask. "'And here's another,' he added, "'as he took a cigar from his case and lit it. Three o'clock,' he went on, looking at his watch, "'and settling himself comfortably on deck "'with his back against the bulwark. "'Daybreak isn't far off. "'We shall have the piping of the birds to cheer us up before long.' I say, Midwinter, you seem to have quite got over that unlucky fainting fit. How do you keep walking? Come here and have a cigar and make yourself comfortable. What's the good of tramping backward and forward in that restless way? I am waiting, said Midwinter. Waiting? For what? For what is to happen to you or to me, or to both of us, before we are out of this ship? With submission to your superior judgment, my dear fellow, I think quite enough has happened already. The adventure will do very well as it stands now. More of it is more than I want. He took another dram of whisky and rambled on between the puffs of his cigar in his usual easy way. I've not got your fine imagination, old boy, and I hope the next thing that happens will be the appearance of the workmen's boat. I suspect that queer fancy of yours has been running away with you while you were down here all by yourself. Come now, what were you thinking of while I was up in the mizzen-top frightening the cows? Midwinter suddenly stopped. Suppose I tell you, he said. Suppose you do. The torturing temptation to reveal the truth, roused once already by his companion's merciless gaiety of spirit, possessed itself of Midwinter for the second time. He leaned back in the darkness against the high side of the ship, and looked down in silence at Allan's figure, "'stretched comfortably on the deck. "'Rouse him,' the fiend whispered subtly, "'from that ignorant self-possession "'and that pitiless repose. "'Show him the place where the deed was done. "'Let him know it with your knowledge, "'and fear it with your dread. "'Tell him of the letter you burned, "'and of the words no fire can destroy "'which are living in your memory now. "'Let him see your mind as it was yesterday, "'when it roused your sinking faith "'in your own convictions,' to look back on your life at sea, and to cherish the comforting remembrances that, in all your voyages, you had never fallen in with this ship. Let him see your mind as it is now, when the ship has got you at the turning point of your new life, at the outset of your friendship, with the one man of all men whom your father warned you to avoid. Think of those death-bed words, and whisper them in his ear, and he may think of them too. Hide yourself from him, under an assumed name. Put the mountains and the seas between you. Be ungrateful, be unforgiving, be all that is most repellent to your own gentler nature, rather than live under the same roof, and breathe the same air with that man. So the tempter counseled. So, like a noisome exhalation, from the father's grave the father's influence rose, and poisoned the mind of the son. The sudden silence surprised Alan he looked back drowsily over his shoulder. "'Thinking again?' he exclaimed, with a weary yawn. Midwinter stepped out from the shadow, and came nearer to Allan than he had come yet. "'Yes,' he said, "'thinking of the past and the future.'" "'The past and the future?' repeated Allan, shifting himself comfortably into a new position. "'For my part, I'm dumb about the past. It's a sore subject with me. The past means the loss of the doctor's boat.' Let's talk about the future. Have you been taking a practical view, as dear old Brock calls it? Have you been considering the next serious question that concerns us both when we get back to the hotel, the question of breakfast? End of Chapter 4, Part 1 Recording by Alan Winteroud BoomCoach.blogspot.com